0: You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 71 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode, I am joined by filmmaker Dylan Avery. Dylan is the man behind such documentaries as Loose Change, 9-11, An American Coup, Black and Blue, and the one which we are mainly going to talk about, Buskill, Is There Life After Coffee? And if you want to check out more about Dylan's films, go to IamDylanAvery.com. So thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So tell the listeners a bit about who you are.
1: Well, uh, my name is Dylan Avery. I'm a filmmaker, 32 years old, currently residing in Long Beach in sunny California. Um, Man, uh, what to say? Uh, I got a pit bull named Gordo that I love. I play some guitar. Uh, I guess I consider myself a filmmaker. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good to be on here. I'm also just getting over a cold, so if that's what I sound like, that's why.
0: And we are going to talk about your film, uh, Buzzkill. So, a bit briefly, explain what this film is about.
1: Well, Buzzkill, I guess, kind of started as a joke. Because uh, I, I suppose when Wes first brought it up, I don't think he actually expected anyone to want to make the film. But um, essentially, we were hanging at our mutual friend Jefferson's house. Uh, Jefferson, you see in one of the scenes of the film, uh, Wes goes and uh, meets up with him, and Jefferson enjoys some coffee, and Wes doesn't. But... um basically we were hanging out in his living room around uh november 2009 around the end of the year and uh kind of joked about it he's like yeah you know i kind of want to make a, i want to make a film because um, I, I think i'm sure he came over and he had a cup of coffee in his hand he's like i want to make a film where i don't drink coffee for 21 days and call it buzzkill and i was like that's actually i don't know man that's that's an interesting project maybe you should do that someday um i was like if you ever want someone to film it for you i got a camera um and he's like, Yeah, 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 sure. And you know, the it kinda waned off. But then uh same thing happened. Um a couple months later, January two thousand ten, um, brought it up again sitting there in a cup of coffee. And I'm like, all right, Wes, this is the second time you brought it up. Um, and I don't remember if it was my idea or his, but basically we we're like, Well, you know, it's the end of January and we got Valentine's Day coming up right around the corner. So wouldn't it be funny if you broke up with coffee? Uh on valentine's day and then tried to see if you could make it 21 days and the whole 21 days thing was like this scientific number he had found where that was the maximum or that was like the number of time you needed to do something for it to be a habit something like that i don't know um but it just seemed like a nice number and a nice little concept and i mean i I was you know i was just living in san diego just kind of chilling post loose change at that period of my time so i was just like yeah this sounds like a fun little thing to do on the side um, so yeah, we shot it from February to March and edited it together over the next couple months and sent off some festivals and, you know, didn't really do much. Nobody was really interested in it. I mean, you know, it's, it's fine. It's a very, it's a very unique film. I actually haven't watched it in a while and I've, I've kind of wanted to dig up the hard drive and cause when we put it up on YouTube, um, it was still at the point where you couldn't upload anything longer than 15 minutes. So, um, yeah, I actually part of me wants to dig up that hard drive and um, re-upload it because it would be uploaded in a full HD, unlike 720, uh, which is at now in like ten different parts. So it would actually be interesting to put that back up on YouTube and it's full full length. But um, essentially, um, yeah, the film uh, is on YouTube, available in parts, and it's always awesome when people uh, keep discovering it anew. And I. You know, it's, it's a nice little surprise to get an email asking uh, to do a podcast about it.
0: What do you think? It didn't get as much recognition as maybe some of your other films or documentaries you've made. Is it because um, maybe coffee is too much part of people's uh, life, as in they say in the film as well?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that could be it. And obviously, I, I guess, you know, it's, it's a very drastic right turn after making the film that I had made to then make a film about coffee in San Diego. People were like, wait, what are you doing next? But it was also, it was really nice, um, because it was the first time, um, the first time I, uh, really had to shoot something like from start to finish all by myself. Um, so it was it was nice practice for what I just finished doing um uh, black and blue um so yeah I uh I don't know it's and again it's it's I I guess it's not the most compelling um premise um you know, a guy doesn't drink coffee for 21 days. Oh, no. Um, so I guess for some people, it's maybe kind of a non-starter to start with. And he doesn't, like, do anything crazy in the film. He doesn't, like, go on a murdering spree. And he doesn't, like, lose his mind and fight with his wife and kids. I mean, it's like, there's really, I mean, the some of the best films. And really, the best films are born out of incredible drama. And I don't know how much drama and conflict is to be found there. Or the fact that West just got a little cranky once in a while, um, which is understandable. I mean, I, I need my coffee. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not every film can be a hit and it was, you know, I guess, you know, it was it was kind of nice to not have a hit after another hit. Cause then I feel like I, again, like it's, it's film, you know, I, I, I wasn't making it hoping that it was going to go viral and change the world and be seen by millions of people. I just, I knew exactly what I was doing. I was just making a silly little film with my friend cause I was living in San Diego and I had a camera.
0: I think, and, and what I liked about it was the fact that it was the f- first time I've seen a film that tackled the thing with with caffeine, because I, I used to be heavily addicted to Coca Cola, which is kind of like coffee, I guess.
1: Oh yeah, that stuff's really bad for you too, especially diet. Like I, I, I used to drink a lot of diet Coke, like back when I was like early teens, and that's a that's a nasty habit to have. Not to cut you off, but I, yeah, I I'm glad that you are away from that now.
0: Yeah. And, um, and you know, um, I can't remember who said it, but caffeine is uh, is a drug for the worker. You know, uh, there's countries in Europe I know that the union has actually put in breaks at work just for the fact so they can drink coffee, which is fuel, so they'll work more. You know, they don't have a break for, uh, for cannabis or something else, you know, it's that wouldn't work so so in a way coffee for me anyway is an archetypal drug for the enslaved masses if if i would go
1: political no that's uh that's funny because there was a uh, like a bill hicks thing that i saw uh, on my facebook feed it was either yesterday or uh, it was recently, though, but it was basically like coffee to keep you productive from Monday through Friday, and alcohol to keep you too stupid from Friday to Sunday to realize how badly you're being screwed over, or something like that.
0: Yeah, so that, that's why I think it's the, you know, maybe not spoken so much in, in your film, but it's still below the surface, I think, this, this concept.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even for me, like when I, when I sit at my desk and edit, I pretty much have to have a cup of coffee. And actually funny, right before this podcast, I ran across the street uh, to the little bodega we have in the corner. I was hoping he had some coffee brew, but he's like, no, no coffee. So I had to just get a little soda, a little, well, it's caffeine free, lemon, lime, Shasta twist. So <laughs> it's not exactly a warm cup of coffee.
0: Did you shoot this film guerrilla style because you're out and about in different places?
1: Oh yeah, no, no, no permits. No, not a lot of phone calls ahead of time. We just kind of did it. <laughs> um, and San, San Diego, Ocean Beach. You know, a lot of people are really cool. They're happy to have you. Um, I mean, businesses obviously. We'd like walk in and be like, "Hey, we're doing this film. Is it cool if we come in and maybe do an interview with you?" Um, like the uh, the lady at the hidden spa and uh, the guy at the tea shop. Like we had conversations with them ahead of time um but yeah mostly guerrilla style we just rolled around and shot whatever we could and did whatever we wanted to essentially um in san diego you can generally get away with that kind of stuff it's not as hardcore as it is here in la where you constantly have people asking you for permits and trying to charge you money
0: did he manage to like his intention was never to fully quit but he wanted to have it more normal usage of coffee did he manage to do that after the film
1: uh, yeah, yeah, I think he did. And actually, I, I tried uh, hitting up Wes to see if I could maybe get him on here real quick. But he and uh, his lovely wife and his new kid Russell uh, are on their way out to the beach for a little Valentine's Day cruise. So he said he wouldn't be able to make it, but he said he sends his regards. Um, so yeah, he's he's doing good. He's teaching. Uh, he's working with kids. He's actually been doing that for a couple years now. Um, I know he was doing that during the Buzzkill times, but he's doing that a lot serious, uh, a lot more serious now. Um, so I'm sure, uh, coffee's definitely still a factor in his life, but I would imagine that after that little, after that little experience, he, um, he's a little bit more moderate in his consumption, I would imagine if nothing else. But, um, I mean, we, we all, we all knew that he was going to pick up a cup of coffee on day 22. So I think a lot of people that watched the film were shocked. They were like, wait a minute, but he just, but he just made it 21 days and now no, (laughs) But, but yeah, it is what it is.
0: It's kind of like the reverse of of that film where he starts eating at McDonald's every day and then he stops at the end.
1: Exactly, that's exactly it. And that, and that might have been it too. Like some people maybe thought we were like doing like a weird knockoff of Super Size B, but it really was just a joke that turned into a movie. Essentially, <laughs> that's basically it.
0: I remember for like 10 years, I thought I had migraine. And then when I eventually stopped Coca-Cola, I discovered I did not have migraine. It was the Coca-Cola, you know.
1: Oh, wow. Just uh, withdrawals from not drinking it or when you were drinking it?
0: No, when I was drinking it and, you know, maybe in the morning before I drank it or drinking too much, I I never connected that it was the Coca-Cola. I just thought I had migraines now and again. But since I stopped, I can't remember now, like four or five years ago, I haven't had a migraine since
1: hmm that's fantastic that's good to hear
0: because he said in the movie also like the first thing that that happened was he got a headache you know
1: oh yeah yeah no and that's like pretty much across the board that's what everyone says like when they don't have their coffee for either all day or a couple days they start to get really bad headaches um i don't i don't know i'm uh, i'm i unfortunately can't remember the last time i went a whole day without coffee i don't know it's been a while. But um, we'll see. We'll see how my body handles it when that day finally comes. So you're
0: working on on uh, new projects since this film?
1: Yeah, I'm working on a couple things. Um, there's actually what I completed uh, back in 2014 and got sold last year. Uh, the UFO crop circle film, A Field Full of Secrets. I don't know if you saw that. But um, essentially, this guy, Charlie Maxwell, went to England in 2008 and stepped into his first crop circle and was like, I got to go back. I got I to gotta investigate this. Uh, he did and then got back to L.A. and wanted to investigate more. And one thing leads to another and he winds up trying to build a UFO with a very uh, interesting individual. So um, I worked on that from um, – I was actually – it's funny. I was living in L.A. for a while and I really – I didn't have a lot of work prospects and I was just kind of getting itchy feet and I was – I was on the tip of moving up to Denver um, to stay with a buddy and try to work up there just because I was just kind of getting sick of LA. And while I was up in Denver visiting my friend, I got a call from this actress that I had cast in a short film I did in 2011. So I did Buzzkill in San Diego in 2010, hit the road for a couple months, moved up to LA, did a short film called Olsen in my spare time because um, I got... Um, my friend got me a job at a production house in LA, so that was my foot in the door to Los Angeles. I was working uh, at a production house called Creative Differences, uh, which did work for like National Geographic. Uh, I got to help out with one of Werner Herzog's films. That was pretty sweet. Um, so I did that short film, and then at the end of 2012, this actress, um, Nicole Watson, who played the, the role of Danielle, I think it was, uh, the uh, antagonist's wife, um, she hit me up and was like, Hey, I know these guys, they're looking for an editor for their documentary because their current one just bailed on them. Um, so as I was in Denver, like getting ready to just move up there and say goodbye to LA, I get a call to edit this film and that keeps me in LA for the next two years. And then from that, um, I have now been working on the side, uh, for Kevin Booth, uh, the renowned director of American drug war, uh, freeway, the Ricky Ross story, uh, childhood friends of Bill Hicks. um, so that's actually pretty fucking awesome. But uh, outside of all that, that, the thing that I'm most excited about is the film Black and Blue that I just finished filming. Uh, I've been spending the past couple days working on a trailer for it. Uh, I started shooting it in February 2014 at a rally for Kelly Thomas, a uh, homeless uh I don't know if he was fully schizophrenic, but he was definitely a homeless man that didn't quite have it all together. He was killed by six police officers or police officers in Fullerton, California. Uh, I went to a rally for him after the officers were acquitted and it kind of spiraled off into this thing, including, uh, a little event known as Ferguson. Um, so it was pretty interesting to be filming in February, 2014, a film about the police. And then six months later, Ferguson happened. Um,
0: Yes, Ferguson for people outside the United States.
1: Ferguson uh, is an event. Uh, essentially, what happened was 18-year-old Michael Brown was shot and killed by a police officer in Ferguson, Missouri. Um, this is a, a very interesting little pocket of the United States is the best way to put it, um, in that we have a largely... I mean I'm I'm also not trying to politicize on this interview, so I guess I'll, I'll veer somewhat away from that. But let's just say an 18-year-old was shot and killed and left in the streets to bleed out and his father actually walked up and saw him before the police escorted him away. But um, that was a, a very – very polarizing event and the people of Ferguson not only took to the streets that day but stayed in the streets for the next hundred days asking for justice which as we – as some people will know, we didn't receive. Um, it seemed like there was a point where the whole world was watching Ferguson waiting to see what the verdict was going to be. Um so, um, but my film not only captured Ferguson in Baltimore, but captured a number of different personal stories that were happening alongside, um, kind of, um, against the backdrop of those two, if you will. Um, so I find myself with a very interesting film and it's kind of nice to see a trailer cut together. I, I was originally going to give the film to a friend of mine and have him cut the trailer. Cause I didn't think I was going to have the time or the ability to do it, but I just kind of started doing it and now i'm starting to get somewhere with it so um yeah by the time this has uh, been released the trailer will already be out i hope it's doing well and i hope people are enjoying it and i am hope that my that the film itself is pretty much done and i have a screener up because i have a number of people that are waiting to see it so i can hopefully get it into a big festival and get it out to a, a nice big audience it's the goal if i made a good enough film that's really what it comes down to so we'll see
0: But you've uh, kind of stayed on the DIY path, even though you've had uh, professional jobs and, you know, you worked in the industry, but the films you make are still, you know, your own, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and and this this uh couldn't be a a better example of it. Uh, I had no sound man, I had no cameraman, I had no investors, I had no producers, I had no crew, I had no hotel rooms, I had no fancy shuttles taking me everywhere. Uh this was very much guerrilla filmmaking and that's I mean, there's a a good chunk of it that's not even in any of the footage that winds up on screen. There's a lot of things I did um you know, leading up to Ferguson and a little bit after that, that aren't going to be on the screen. Um, but I'm hoping to get that material up onto YouTube um, in an extended form, which personally to me is the is the form that a lot of that material belongs in. Because if I tried to put it into this film, it just a wouldn't work, and b I don't think I'd be doing it justice. So the ability to put those um, those batches of material up on YouTube in, in a more extended form um outside of the film itself so and people can see like oh yeah i understand why this isn't in the film um but at the same time something tangentially connected to the film so i can either put it out while i'm waiting for the film to be released or after something who knows but there's no no shortage of material but i um it's very much my film and you know that's you know again the great thing about you know buzzkill and the interesting thing about me you asking about it now is um that was definitely a great practice for Black and Blue and without Buzzkill and, you know, subsequently without editing A Field Full of Secrets, I don't think I would have been able to shoot this film without the experience of Buzzkill or been able to edit it without the experience of Field Full of Secrets. So it's definitely uh, the combination of a lot of things coming together for this film. So I'm very curious to see where it goes and what it does.
0: Do you think uh, crop circles are man-made or, or aliens?
1: Crop circles, uh, I mean by all accounts um, from both the people that live there and from Charlie, a person who went there fully believing and – not fully believing but I mean was really – God I don't know I don't want to speak too much for him Um, and also if you haven't seen the film I don't want to spoil it but essentially you know he went over there as a believer and still is a believer but at the same time there are a lot of people out there with boards that go out into the fields in the middle of the night creating crop circles just to mess with people Um, but then you do have certain crop circles like Milk Hill 2001 where you had I believe 409 individual circles appear within the and 409 circles within one formation not like 409 circles across the countryside although that would be pretty cool too um but inside one formation and i mean i think the one person that tried to survey the land himself said it took him like two days to do it just to walk the circumference of all the circles um so could 10 people have hit that field and in the span of two three hours in the middle of the night made 409 409 concentric circles that spiral out perfectly it's possible but no one has done it no one had done it before and no one's done anything like it since so um Crop Circles, if nothing else, are a very, very interesting field of discussion, and I definitely know way more about them now than I did before, so I'm definitely grateful for that. It was a very interesting experience uh, to edit that film.
0: Yeah, because one thing, you never see, like, half-assed crop, crop circles, or maybe there are, but I, I've, I've never seen any because, you know, if you make them yourself, you you got to have to practice, you know?
1: Yeah, and it's actually it's, it's an interesting point that was brought up by somebody is that you rarely see people practicing crop circles. Like, you know, you don't see a group of these guys out in the field in the middle of the day getting ready for their formation the next morning. Um, they're they're very, like, focused in what they do, Um so and the there were a couple sloppy ones that popped up uh, that actually were attributed to the people that claimed they were the ones making them like Doug and Dave the two famous hoaxers but um, when you see the circles that they made and compare them to the circles that they took credit for you're like I don't think so uh, so and that's the thing is that, you know by by the very nature of crop circles being illegal and that you're trespassing on someone's property and thereby destroying it at the same time. Um, Nobody really wants to admit that they made a crop circle. You know, an organization can sometimes maybe say they did it, but even then they're opening themselves up to litigation. Um, so it's it's kind of an invisible art. I mean, it's obviously very visible, but in the sense that the artist himself becomes invisible.
0: Yeah, they should increase now when you have those drones who can easily take photos.
1: Yeah, yeah, you would think. And, that, and that's the other thing is that, unfortunately, the crop circle phenomenon has kind of died down Um And that's the interesting thing about when Charlie went over there is the season that he got in 2009 was phenomenal. I mean, the the formations that popped up that summer, he got to discover the Mayan mask. He was the first person inside that formation. Um, And the years after, the designs have kind of slipped a little bit. They're not not quite as magical and breathtaking as they used to be.
0: Which uh, Werner Herzog film did you work on?
1: I worked on um, Into the Abyss, the film that he did about the death row... Um, subjects um, and I believe that the f- the finished product mostly focused on uh, Michael Perry I think his name was um, and I actually I got to meet Werner a couple times as he strolled through the office not really a lot of extended conversations for with him but if you watch Into the Abyss um, there's an interview with this guy Fred Allen and he gives this, this speech about how you know, your life is a dash, you know, make sure you live your dash because in between the date you're born and the date you die, there's a dash on your tombstone and you need to live that dash right there. Um, I don't want to say that I found that guy, but I kind of found that guy. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Um, because they were, they, they were like, there were a bunch of interviews they were trying to get with people who were connected to all these cases and, um they couldn't find this one guy Fred Allen so the one uh producer there Robert Erickson was like hey can you like poke around and see if you could find this guy so like i did a couple background searches and i found a couple addresses and i was like i'm pretty sure this is his most recent address so robert called the phone number and the the phone call i think either didn't go through or no one picked up and he left a voicemail and then robert erickson sent that address a letter and then like a week later, Fred Allen called the office and was like, hey, yeah, it's, it's cool. You guys are looking for me. I had no idea. And yeah, apparently he was like super nice and was like really appreciative that someone tracked him down, but they no one could find him. And I did. So that was kind of cool.
0: Yeah. And uh, Werner Herzog's documentaries are, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if I've seen them all, but I've, all the ones I've seen have been pretty good.
1: Yeah, he's he's he is one of a kind. <laughs> you, uh, I mean, obviously his voiceover is a dead giveaway, but you know when you're watching a Werner Herzog film.
0: I was surprised to see him act in uh, that Tom Cruise movie, Jack Reacher.
1: Yeah, wasn't that a shock? I like, I, I like, I, because I didn't see the film uh, from the beginning. I like, I walked into my roommate's room as he was watching. I was like, "Is that Werner Herzog right there?" <laughs> yeah, that was a shock. It was yeah, a nice little shock. a pretty good actor, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, it's he, he, he played the villain very well.
0: So you you worked in in L.A. and how how is how is that? place you know for budding filmmakers all over the world, is it worth staying away or is it worth going there trying your
1: luck oh god i don't know man that's uh that's tricky
0: um is it- lo- lots of like sleazy sharks with
1: suits i mean they they don't all wear suits that's the thing he, uh yeah there's uh i don't know it's tricky i don't i don't want to come down on the city because there's obviously like a lot of amazing things about the city and people come here for a reason uh there's a lot of traffic for a reason because so many people come here uh and that's one of the things to hate about the city is the traffic uh, so i don't know and i mean for me i'm i'm from upstate new york i'm from a small town it really only takes a couple minutes to get anywhere where you're going so you know for me living in long beach where the parking sucks and my car is you know 20 years old at this point and you know, have to drive up to LA, find parking, do the thing, and either have to drive home drunk or you know, which I don't do, so I have to drive there and not drink and then drive home and try to find parking. You know, it's just it just sucks all the fun out of it. I don't know. Like it it's cool if like you can carpool up with some friends and they have a driveway and you know, someone can you know but I mean if I'm just trying to like roll solo somewhere, it's not easy. You know, like it's not easy I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe it's where I'm from. Um, but I mean even outside of the social aspect I mean, I mean I've mean, i definitely gotten stiffed on my share of invoices and worked for a bunch of people where I'm just like how how do you have money you know and like more importantly how do you have money to throw at something like this that is not going to go anywhere or do anything or be seen by anybody um, my own work included and that's the thing like you know me it's like I feel like I'm screaming into the wind here in LA because even you know every, it's like everybody's a nobody here in LA which maybe and it's it's I mean, it's it's tricky because if I hadn't come here, I definitely wouldn't have made the connections I've made. I wouldn't have made Olsen. I wouldn't have made Field Full of Secrets. I wouldn't you know, have made Black and Blue. So for me, coming to L.A. was obviously the right choice. But am I looking forward to buying some land and building a cabin somewhere? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to that. And I guess that's kind of it. It's like I've, I've described it a couple of times as you come to L.A. so you can leave it.
0: Yeah because like LA is like the land of or the city of dreams I guess but most of those dreams are broken I mean hundreds of thousands of people leave every year you know you know wanting to be actors or whatever and they fail.
1: Yeah no it's boulevard of broken dreams for sure.
0: I don't know about all your films but many of your films you've like posted online you know basically for free. Uh, so, um so how do you you know how do you make that work for you? Is it that you're you know some of your films go viral and you, you know, you get the recognition and then you can get work or income that way. Um,
1: I mean, buzzkill, we ended up putting online just because that was pretty much the only way people were going to see it. (laughs) Um, you know, we tried a couple, we tried a couple avenues to get it onto a couple places, but Netflix wasn't quite what it is now. Um, and even now I don't think it would get on there. Um, but I mean, loose change, you know, that was kind of the nature of the film. And, you know, we didn't want it to be something that you had to pay to see. We wanted people to watch it for free. And that's, I mean, it really worked in our favor because for every every 10 people that watch it for free online, um, one person might buy 10 DVDs. Um, and that would take care of that right there. But again, the, the whole nature of that project was not to make money. So uh, the fact that it went viral when it was the first internet blockbuster according to Vanity Fair, totally okay with that um black and blue will not be going up onto the internet um at least not initially um that's been two years of my life and i've pretty much spent every spare penny i've had on that film uh, i've i've turned down work i've i've traveled places i've stayed places way longer than i should have and turned down work in the process uh so it hasn't been easy uh so i, I mean But not just that. I mean, I really want it to be seen by people. And I feel like if I just throw it up on YouTube, it's just another drop in the ocean. Uh, I really want it to get, like, some kind of a platform and some kind of buzz by people talking about it. Um, So we'll see. Uh, I mean, like I guess, you know, that that worked for certain projects in the past. And, you know, my short films and a lot of the stuff I've done for fun, yeah, I just throw it up online because I don't really care. Um, Field Full of Secrets, you know, that's – that's up on Netflix. Gravitas also has it up on their YouTube. I think for like two, three bucks. So, yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, it's it's a fine line to walk, and you know, freelancing is tricky because you know you take a job and you a don't know if the job is what it's described as, and b you don't know if you're gonna get paid at the end of the day. Uh, so it's tricky. Uh, film, like many other businesses, is tough. So if you're gonna come to L.A., just be wary of that, and you know. I don't know. It's it's really tricky. Um
0: but I've seen documentaries on Netflix that are, are both in quality of the actual film. I mean the the sound and the visual and also the content that's I mean below buskill I mean so I, I wouldn't
1: I mean Oh, well, thank you, buddy.
0: <laughs> I mean, I've seen some crap on Netflix so <laughs> I, I...
1: <laughs> That's great. I mean, I could I mean that's the thing. I mean, I could maybe, I could maybe take another look at it and hand it to gravitas. Cause gravitas pretty much, I mean, they took field full of secrets. So, um, I don't know. I'd have to take another look at it, but I
0: mean, Netflix, Netflix, they have Zeitgeist, which is basically just a, a PowerPoint, you
1: know? Oh my God. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, we're trying to get loose change back up on Netflix. And meanwhile, zeitgeist is on there, which is basically just pieces of loose change and other people's movies. Um,
0: Oh yeah, that's right. They, they, took some of that also yeah that's true
1: yeah sure did um which i'm okay with but at the same time it's why it'd be nice to have our a- actual film up there um but we had you know because our, our previous edition was handled by a distributor and then the distributor went bankrupt and it was a whole thing um but we're with a new distributor now journeyman pictures uh so far they've been treating us really well um so we'll see how things go with them and uh yeah yeah so things are good man you know i'm 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 excited because, again, it is kind of interesting that you hit me up about Buzzkill at this time because Black and Blue is really the first thing like Buzzkill that I've made since it where it's a film that I set out to do and had to kind of do all the work, so to speak. I mean, obviously, Wes helped a lot with Buzzkill you know, between carrying equipment and having to deal with the camera all the time. Um, So this was definitely... You know, it's it's definitely a film by Dylan Avery. You know, no no one was holding a boom pole, no one was driving me around. It was very much just me with a camera for two years. So,
0: do you always want to make documentaries? So, or do you want to make like fiction?
1: Man, I've wanted to make fiction for a while, and that's why I made a couple short films because I was trying to test the waters in that. And I I think that for my first narrative short, I think I did a decent job. Uh, Definitely looking back, a lot of technical issues, but I think. From an acting standpoint, and from what I had to do with the script I wrote, I think I did a decent job. And with having no budget, I spent five hundred bucks on the thing. Um, there's also a really cool shot in there with a gun and a bullet that flies out. Um, I'll, you know, if I ever had to make another DP reel, I'd definitely put that in there. But um, I'd love to do narrative, man. I'd love to do something fictional, and I'm really hoping that with Black and Blue getting out there and maybe a couple other things, I can you know, hopefully bark up that tree again. And there was actually a producer I met with right before the new year, uh, discussing something like that. So actually when I sent him the trailer for black and blue, I might kind of poke him on that. Cause he said he had a couple projects that might work for me, but at the same time, you know, nobody wants to take something unless it's, you know, just right for them. So, and if I, I whatever my first narrative feature film is, I want it to be good.
0: When I watched, I watched many like low budget f- films, and no matter how good you you put it together, the the thing that separates a bad low budget film from a good one is usually just two things: is the sound quality, and um, you know you have to have a, a good actor or actress, of course, because even though you might have good camera and editing and everything but if the sound is shitty then the the, kind of the film falls which is weird because film is visual but the sound is so important oh it's
1: it's so much it's and that's exactly it so many people take sound for granted they're like oh just use the camera mic no it's it's no that's that's the first because that's the first tip-off that you're watching a film that was made with a camera is that you're hearing the sound from the camera you know
0: it only works with documentaries because that's a different vibe.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. But even then, you know, some onboard camera mics are just awful. And I mean, even even when I started shooting Black and Blue, there's a couple uh candlelight vigils I shot with the on-camera mic. And, like, having to listen to that audio now, I'm like, oh, God. Because, uh, like, it was, like, two weeks later I bought my, like, $99 Rode mic that I've been using for the duration of the project. But, I mean, even just that... that small difference of having that $99 microphone on the top of your camera and plugged in is just a world of difference. Um, And even, and I'm running lavalier mics too. So, I mean, sometimes I don't even use that shotgun audio, but it's like, yeah, I I hear you, man. Sound is definitely where a film can fall apart. If nothing else, if, if everything else is there, but the sound isn't, you've wasted your time.
0: Now with like normal cameras that you take still photographs with, you can you can you know record with them, and you can get like you know almost cinematic quality. I think.
1: Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll email you the trailer to Black and Blue when I have it up because I mean I, you know, that's what it was shot with. It was shot with a Canon Five D Mark Three and a Seven D occasionally, but it's it's those DSLRs, man. And the, that Canon glass and those Canon sensors—it just looks so good. Oh, that Canon footage.
0: Because you know, like when when the red camera came out, you know that Hollywood uses. I thought, okay, but that's pretty expensive. But I mean, not long after that, you know, they solved it with these normal cameras, which are way cheaper.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you have have so many different makes and models, and you have interchangeable lenses. So let's say you buy like all this really nice glass for your for your like for your Canon for your 5D Mark III, but then you buy a red. You just get the EF adapter, and bam, you just slap all that glass onto your red, and you didn't waste any money. You just sell your camera body, so glass is definitely a good investment for the future. If you're going to buy a, a, a glass, if you're going to buy glass or a body, and you already have a body, buy glass. Essentially, unless you're upgrading to like a red, in which case I hate you, because <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a red and I want a red.
0: <laughs> yeah, but for like uh, you know, like uh, a poor filmmaker, you know, the norm, a normal camera, like the ones you mentioned. I mean, the difference from that and red, there is a difference, but it's it's not worth the money if you're, like, poor, you know.
1: No, I mean, and that's the thing. You can have the best tools in the world, but if you don't know how to build anything, so, I and that's great, because I, if you had handed me a red to shoot Olsen with, I probably still would have made all the same mistakes, but if you handed me a red and I had to shoot Olsen now, holy crap, you know.
0: Did you, like, do any formal training or just self-taught?
1: Self-taught. I uh, I applied to purchase film school outside of New York City, and got rejected both times. Uh, excuse me. So I was like, "All right, well, I'm gonna make films anyway." So self-taught. I'm self-taught with. I mean, well, obviously, you know, you you pick up things here and there, and you ask people for advice, and you learn as you do. But yeah, I, I had no formal training, so to speak.
0: So if people want to, to check out your your films, any of them, w- where can they do that easily? Is it on one website or like scattered on different ones?
1: Yeah, I have uh, my one personal website where I try to keep everything cataloged. And I actually just tried logging into there before this interview. And uh, I got to dig out my password. Um, but if you go to my personal website, it's com, And I'm sure if you Google me and just type in Dylan Avery official site, that should bring it up too. Um but everything should be on there, my shorts, my music videos, uh, commercials that I've made. Uh, I've really got to update it because there was this company out here in LA I was working for called Mr. Pink. I did like three videos for them, and there's one I did with these like burlesque dancers. It's like so cool. <laughs> uh, 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 so yeah, my personal site, I am Uh I have a Twitter I barely use. Uh, I post pictures on Instagram. And uh, yeah, that's really about it.
0: And, and Buzzkill you just find on, on YouTube.
1: Yeah, Buzzkill you can find it on YouTube. And who knows, maybe you can find it on Netflix at some point. You've got me inspired. The official subtitle was Is There Life After Coffee? So if you type in Buzzkill, is there life after coffee? You will definitely get that. Um, and I don't know if we created a playlist or if it just does the autoplay. So, and that's why I just need to re-upload it like, in its full length. So maybe I'll do that.
0: So... Uh... I was thinking of uh, ending this episode with playing the song from the movie. Can you talk a bit about that?
1: Yeah, that was uh, that was funny. I mean, you know, Wes is a musician, and one of the first questions I asked him is like, "So, uh, gonna gonna write a song? Gonna write a song for this movie? Huh? Gonna write a song called Buzzkill? Maybe for this movie called Buzzkill?" And uh, he started working on it, and you know, wrote it and developed it, and we recorded it uh, throughout the. And I, I kind of had this idea. I was like, "All right, cool. We'll write this song for the for the movie, and we'll show us recording it and working on it through the movie, and you know, showing us in the studio at the end." I mean, I, and that's the thing. It's like it's got a soft spot in my heart because there's quirky little things like that that I love. Most people are probably like, oh, who gives a shit?" But for me, it was cool because I had this idea. I was like, "All right, we got this song. You know, Wes's coffee about breaking up with coffee, song about breaking up with coffee." And We'll, you know, record little bits of it throughout the movie, and then in the end, we'll go in the studio and we'll bring all the characters back together. And I don't know, it was a nice image.
0: Thanks for for being on the on the podcast.
1: Yeah, man, thanks for having me. This was really nice.
0: Freedom is in the mind.
2: Well, baby, it's a buzzkill to think that you're leaving me. I dream of the day when I don't need you. Wash sugar in the afternoon. Ain't as sweet as it was. My head is pounding. Just like a drunk without a cup. But I don't need need this to come down off this hill. Oh, my tears on auto-drip. It's such a total buzz Empty fill, can I get a warm up on this jill, oh, two cups in the morning, one cup on my drive, two cups at the factory, to keep my productivity high, what I don't need is to come down off this hill, all oh, my tears on auto drip, it's such a total buzzkill, kill. At the factory To keep my productivity high What I don't need need Is to come down off this hill With my tears on auto drip It's such a total buzzkill I don't need I don't need Is to come down off this hill With my tears on auto drip It's such a total buzzkill of the day When I don't need you Well sugar in the afternoon Ain't as sweet as it was My head is pounding It's a total buzzkill.